Welcome to A Tribe Called Yes, the podcast that brings you closer to the world's most notorious risk takers, trailblazers, and enemies of the status quo. Now, here's your host, Darren K. Roberts. All right, greetings, tribe. Whether you're standing on a subway, sitting in traffic, running a 5K, or baking cookies, we are glad that you are joining us today. If you want the blueprint for convincing people to give you money, then this is the episode for you. Our guest, Stephanie Calderon, has two degrees and has traveled the globe courtesy of scholarships and prize money. She was born in Mexico and ventured from East Texas to the University of Texas and now to Dallas, where she is a consultant with Accenture. Welcome to the tribe, Stephanie Calderon. Thank you, Darren. How are you? I'm doing good. Good, good to go. Okay, we're going to jump right into this. So if I walked into your school when you were in the 11th grade, grabbed you out of your English class and asked you, what did you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? (laughs) That's awesome. So um, I'm thinking 11th grade. That's like 2010. Making me feel old. Appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So, um, you know, I knew I wanted to do something in business, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, I had no idea what consulting even was um, until I started college, to be honest. Mm. Um, so I I had no idea. But my my strategy was, you know, immerse yourself in several opportunities that um, will kind of expand your vision and figure it out from there. So mm. I, I was very involved in high school. Okay. Uh, so you're born in Mexico. And then when did you come to the U.S.? So I was three. So all my education was in the U.S. Do you have any memories from Mexico? As So I recently toddler? went this past semester. So I went this uh, January 2016 to May 2016. Um, but bef- behind that, zero memories at all. <laughs> so And the business interests, were there entrepreneurs in your family? Or was this something you pulled from... Your town or TV? I mean, can you think of like some some people that you looked at in high school and thought, you know, I want to do that. Or I want to be like that person one day. Yeah. So I, you know, I think, I think probably the the biggest skill that I grabbed from from my family um, was the work hard aspect. Hmm. So none of my family they were low income. So born in Mexico City, right? The one of the largest cities in the whole world. Um, and we lived in a very poor neighborhood in Mexico City. So um, we we just never had that opportunity. But moving here to the U.S., it was like a whole new vision, a whole new culture. So um, my parents were, um, they, they had a high expectations of me, of course. So, you know, my dad basically integrated a program um, into my personal life that said, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a janitor, it doesn't matter if you're a manager. He said, you're going to work hard and you're going to be the best janitor or the best manager. <laughs> he said, and eventually you're going to make yourself um, up the ladder. You're going to walk mm. yourself up the ladder. So I said, um, I said, okay. I said, I, I like that. <laughs> mm. So so work hard and be the best at what you do. Right. Do you think that, I mean, how many people in 11th grade, you're ambitious, you're running around, you've got all kinds of patches on your jacket. Was your cohort of friends back in high school were they on this same vibe i mean were did they understand where you were headed and what you wanted to do or were you sort of a loner yeah so good question <laughs> so this is this is quite interesting so 
Um, I was a high school cheerleader, um, but I basically after Friday Night Lights, you could say Saturday morning, I would be the basically the only one to wake up and go to UIL meets and be extremely excited about it, <laughs> while everyone was like waking up a lot later, probably. Um, which is fine, right? But I was so into the academic life as well um, that I, I really enjoyed that aspect. So I would say um, I, I wasn't exactly a loner because I, I loved people and talking to everyone. But I, I could definitely say I had at least one friend from every single table in the cafeteria. Mm. <laughs> so uh, I was just kind of all around. <laughs> so you go to Northeast Texas Community College. Correct. And talk about that decision. Like, was was the college... You know, decision-making process, was it difficult for you? Were you stressed out? Yeah, so um, so actually, I, I graduated top 5% of my class, mm. so I, I did very well. Um, so I, I knew I was smart, and with things like math, I honestly, I didn't even study. I was just really good at math, so I knew I wanted to do something with business and, and math-related. Um, however... Uh, when 12th grade comes around, senior year, and everyone's talking about college and scholarships, and I have no idea how much college is going to cost until we take this like uh, senior class. And I was like, wow, this is this is a lot more money than both of my parents make in a whole year. <laughs> and that the first so, time that the college cost was presented to you? Like the, the price tag that was... The, pri- the full cost of attendance, that was that hmm. was the first time. So when I heard about like room and board, when I heard of about like tuition and fees and what everything meant, um, that was kind of the mm. first time. However, I would say um, during high school, which I think this is probably why um, I started reaching out to so many people and actually asking for help, which was because um, in, in my situation, my parents, um, nor I, we didn't exactly have the requirements of a FAFSA. So the FAFSA tells you, you must have a social security number. What we had was a tax identification number. Hmm. So my question was, um, to, to my teachers was, you know, so how do I fill this out? And, uh, the, the truth was they, they didn't know. So I basically had to teach myself the entire way and what was FAFSA and the fact that I wasn't eligible for FAFSA, but I was eligible for TASFA, which was the Texas financial aid. Um, so it was it was quite of a journey. So I I didn't find any. I had a five hundred dollar cheer scholarship um, walking out of high school. So I thought, well, I'm going to the local community college, and this is it for me. And even though graduated top five percent, all my friends were going to big universities. And I thought, wow, is is this over? So you could have easily said, really, this isn't even an option, right? Because I I could see a lot of people in that position. First of all, thinking not, you know, you're 17, you're 18, not even thinking, okay, let me search for alternatives, but kind of looking at the FAFSA, okay, I can't complete this form and saying, I'll go get a job, right? I won't go to college. I think what, what was it that kept you searching, right? I mean, that's not a common trait, I don't believe. Like what kept you looking and searching for a way to make it happen? You know, I, I never doubted that I was smart. So I, I think that's that that was pretty important. I said, you know, you're you're a smart person. That confidence is where does that come from? I think it comes from being independent. 
So, <laughs> you know, I, I paid off my first car before I even graduated high school. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I was working full time. I was doing things like UIL Saturday was a cheerleader. So I, I grew up into this lifestyle where I said, um, you know, if, you know, I have to figure things out. Mom and dad didn't go to college, so they don't know the process, but you have to figure things out. So um, I think it was from the fact that I, I grew up to be very independent and was, um, I would say, a little forced to become more mature than people my age hmm. um, when I was in high school. So you get a $500 scholarship, you go to Northeast Texas Community College, and what's the first day on campus feel like? First day on campus, so I thought back, wow, is this freshman year again in high school? <laughs> so, you know, uh, again, I, I I was very disappointed the fact that I wasn't going to a big university like all my friends but I said, um, you know, let's let's do round two. Let's get involved again. Let's try this out. I said, but now, you know, find some people that can mentor you or, you know, really go to office hours and, you know, ask for help. Um, so that's what I did. And I want to say the the second week um, I, I met Andrew Yox, which is part of the honors program at, at NTCC. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, he said, I didn't know you were going to be here. And I said, well, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> So, because um, um, me and his son had had um, won the FBLA um, business financial plan, mm. so he knew that we had worked on this for you know just an enormous amount of hours. So um, he said, "Would you like to be part of the honors program?" He said, "Just fill out this application." He said, "We'll we'll see what we can do." So I did, and I became a presidential scholar and got a full ride at NTCC. <laughs> so <laughs> hold on, 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 back up. Okay, so. Because I think that you you take this narrative. I don't. I'm not saying you take it for granted, but I think because you're so driven. Yeah. If A then B, if B then C, it sort of makes sense in your mind. But on this side of the microphone, I'm sitting there going like, "What?" So you feel out this. This is two weeks into your semester, and you get a full ride. So now, how does this change your approach to? the next two years of your higher education life? So, um, it was, so this was just really funny. So I walked into Rico Willis's office. That was probably the third week. And Rico is? Rico Willis is the director of student activities, um, across, uh, NTCC. Hmm. So, um, walked into his office and said, Hey, my name is Stephanie. I was acting very professional. I said, I really want to get involved. Could you show me some um, business organizations or, you know, anything that you think um, might be essential to to my time here at NTCC? I plan to be here two years. And he said, hey, girl, what's up? (laughs) So I was like, whoa. (laughs) And and this guy became my mentor throughout those two years. And um, he really pushed me and said, you know, you should. He said, you know what? He said, I think you'd be good for treasurer of Student Government Association. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I was like, I just graduated high school. He was like, yeah. He said, you should definitely go for it. Tried that out then, um, and, and got the position there. Then um, I became um, co-president of Texas Enactus, which is a social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. organization. Um, and then uh, I became president of the Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I met another professor, Melissa Weinbrenner, now Fulgham. And uh, she was, I would say, um, empowering. Uh, she convinced me that no matter what happened in the past, 
you know, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what is what does that actually mean? And she she so she's a history professor. So she's like, you know, um, it, it it doesn't matter if your parents didn't go to college. She said you can do it. So she she really convinced me that I could still keep going because I thought, okay, I have this um, full ride at NTCC. You know, what what am I going to do? What's the next step? And I didn't I didn't know what the next step was. Um, so she she helped me um, become more driven, I would say, and and act quickly. So you had people like Rico Willis, who's helped countless of boys and girls, men and women find their way. And you're also picking up additional mentors. I mean, you're a magnet for mentorship. It it seems like, are you actively recruiting? Because this is one question that I get from a lot of people, both undergraduates and then old folks. How do you find a mentor and it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is you are actively going out and tabbing people and you're kind of putting the mentorship hat on and say, hey, listen, you're going to be my mentor and I'm going to get as much information as I can from you. And I'm going to be here to also contribute to whatever projects that you have going on. I mean, is that something, you know, you seem very intentional about that process. Yeah. So um, kind of my my idea was. Don't have a plan, but have a strategy. Mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I know the big picture, right? And uh, the most important thing is the the why piece. So I thought, okay, so I need to fill in these gaps right here. Um, so Melissa Wein, Weinbrenner, now Fulgham, is um, part of Phi Theta Kappa. Um, what, what can she do? Because I had heard that Phi Theta Kappa provided so many scholarship opportunities. And then I thought, okay... The director of student activities, he can probably give me a big picture view of if, if there's something else that I can add to my portfolio. So as a business major, I'm probably going to add a lot of business lingo. <laughs> so um, that's that was kind of my approach was, you know, I, I have these gaps right here. And who can I find that's already in that area that can help me with that? Um, so I, I would say that was that was my approach and has been my approach. Transition to the University of Texas. How does that go down? So the reason I've always wanted to go to the University of Texas. I was I was never an Aggie person. Let's let's say that right off the bat. <laughs> For those of you who are you know, we've got we have guests in China and Denmark and Switzerland. This this thing she's referring to is this Aggie. Uh, those are folks who attend a, a school or university, I guess you can call it, Texas A&M. Uh, I have a lot of Aggie friends, so I don't want to be too demeaning. But yeah, so you were always set on going to the University of Texas. Yeah, and, and the reason the reason was because I knew they had the best business cro- program in Texas. So I said, I, I know it's, it's the number one, and, and that's where I want to go. And uh, of course, I had applied to other schools just, just as backups, right? So um, here I am. Um, my second year at NTCC, about to graduate, and they tell me I'm going to be the commencement speaker, and then I, I had won um, some college awards, and I was like, great, but what I don't want um, to happen again is basically high school. That high school experience was, I have all these awards, but I'm not taking the step that I actually want to take, which is advanced to that, to that next level, right? So... Um, I am basically two weeks doing competitions with SGA and Actis and Phi Theta Kappa. So 
Um, a couple of scholarships I applied for, um, a, a couple thousand dollars that would have been very helpful, and and I didn't get them. So at the Phi Theta Kappa award ceremony, of course, I'm sitting down with my laptop thinking, no, high school again. I get on scholarships.com and start looking up things. <laughs> I was like, darn it. It's like, I, I, I definitely don't want to go through this again. So um, I'm after all that's over, I go back to NTCC and the honors program director calls me and he says, hey, Stephanie, um, he said, I need you to come to my office. And I thought, man, I missed two weeks of class. I probably like really failed that stats exam, probably getting kicked out of the honors program. So here I am exaggerating. And he's like, oh, by the way, he said, um, I think Dr. Johnson also wants to see you which Dr. Johnson is the the president of, of NTCC. So I was like, whoa, I'm getting kicked out of NTCC <laughs> like, this now. This is it. It was a good ride. <laughs> now I'm about to get expelled from college. So, um, so I'm, I'm like, okay, keep calm. I go to his office and he's not there. And I'm like, well, what's going on? So I go directly to the president's um, office to, in the administration building. And I'm like, hey, I heard Dr. Johnson wants to see me. Um, and here I am, like, I'm like, Stephanie, you didn't do anything, so you have no reason to be very nervous about this. Um, so they said, you know, we need you to sit down. And I I had no idea what they were talking about. I didn't even think of the Jack Kent Cook Scholarship. So as I'm sitting down, they said, well, we have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, go ahead and tell me now. <laughs> and uh, they said, you are the winner of the Jack Kent Cook Foundation. <laughs> here I am bawling my eyes out in front of... <laughs> tons of professors right in front of me and everyone's clapping and uh the reason was they they basically give you a full ride to anywhere you want to go so fast forward to ut you get to ut i want to get i want to get through your time at the university of texas and i want to talk about what was that transition like okay so population what was the enrollment ntcc when you were there wow it's like 2,000 students. <laughs> 2,000 students. So UT is around 50K. So you're going like 25X. Oh, yeah. Right? So what was it like landing at the University of Texas and the sights and sounds? And what, what, what were you thinking? Yeah. So again, I was thinking Mexico City, largest city in the world, then a small, small town in East Texas. And now you're back to big again <laughs> in Austin. Um, but I was I was very excited. I got into a, my 2002 PT Cruiser and was rolling up, and I was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And then um, I'm like, "Oh, okay." So, and I had never visited the UT campus before, so everything was completely new the the minute I stepped my first first foot into UT. So, talk about your your trip to Brazil and how that came about. Yeah. So. Um, Trip to Brazil, basically my, my area of focus was Latin America. So they said, um, you know, where where do you want to go? And I said, this was the time when um, the term BRICS was emerging. So Brazil, Russia, India, China. So I thought, well, let's go to Brazil. It's like, I think I'm going to learn um, a lot there and it's going to be a really good experience. And didn't really think much about it. And I was like, well, I, I knew for sure they didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so it was going to be a new language. <laughs> but I thought, let's, you know, let's try this out. Um, so again, like the financial portion, talked to my scholarship foundation and they said, you know, as long as it's for academic purposes, um, we'll, we'll pay your entire way through. So they paid nice. for my housing. They paid for, um, you know, they gave me a stipend for my food. Um, they paid my entire cost. The only thing they didn't cover was the, was the flight. But, you know, I, I saved money with, with my housing and I basically didn't pay a dime. Shout out to the Jack Kent 
Cook Foundation. So you are heading to, were you in Rio, Sao Paulo? Rio, Sao Paulo. I was in the center, Bonito. I was in the north in San Luis. Um, I was everywhere. Traveled to Argentina, traveled to Colombia, went to see the Pope in Paraguay. <laughs> oh, nice. It was, it was quite of an experience. So you come back. Let's get you back. And then you're looking at once you graduate, where are you going to work? And wh- what are your thoughts? So I come back from Brazil and I said, all right, that was that was fun. Now let's let's get back moving. <laughs> let's get back on the treadmill. <laughs> so I think um, I, I had always thought of, you know, a, a career in consulting. And I had also thought of a career in investment banking. So it was just a matter of deciding which of the two and then looking at the pool of companies. So um, decided to do consulting because I thought, okay, again, what are you really good at? <clears throat> so I said, you know, doing different things and finding a way to connect them. And I thought, you know, I think I think with consulting, I can work with several different industries, products, services, people, clients, you know, everything. Um, you have a huge pool that you can work with. So I, I thought that would kind of expand my opportunities and help me find my niche. So um, I thought, all right, let's let's do consulting and uh, didn't realize how long you have to prepare for a consulting interview. <laughs> so um, which which I knew that going into Brazil. So during my trips, I was also studying in Brazil, I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I uh, believe it or not, <laughs> I did um, case interviews with, with a few people, which actually one girl that I was doing cases with ended up getting a job offer at the company I'm at. As well. Yeah, talk about these, these case interviews. So I, I remember this whole, these shenanigans. It's like, how many manhole covers are there in New York? What are some questions that you got while you were interviewing for some of these consulting gigs? You know, I think because I had so much time in Brazil, I I might have over prepared. No, you. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing was, I I didn't over prepare because, you know, I I I was scared or I was nervous. I over prepared because I I actually I had a lot of fun doing these case interviews. Sounds very nerdy of me now that I say that. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, these are pretty cool. So my, my friend would say, you know, after we're done with our emerging markets class, he said, you want to do a case? And I said, yeah, let's do it. So we would grab lunch and then go do a case, um, which it was funny then doing cases because um, when one guy that I did a case with, he was he was from Russia. Or he is from Russia. And um, like he was he was very strict about his approach and he gave me such great feedback. And I was like, wow. And then um, whenever I would do it with some of my friends here at UT, it was like a different approach. <laughs> what was it? So, less like it was um, less stringent? What? So what it was so it was less they gave me, I would say, less feedback um at the very end. So during the case, they would they would give me more feedback. And then um so my Russian friend would give me all the feedback at the very end. <laughs> so hmm. um thought thought that was a, a cool little trend. Um so about different cultures, I guess. You remember any of the cases? So I think people, a lot of people don't know what the heck these cases are. So give us an example. Yeah. So um, cases could be honestly everything and anything. So um, you're probably not going to have the case that you practiced for in your actual case interview. Um, so just just some that I can remember from the top of my head was, let's say Coca-Cola wants to expand its operations into um, Peru and 
it doesn't exist there. So it's it's you know initial market entry. Um, what are the first steps? What's your approach? So it one basically one case could be that they give you they give you very little information and you have to expand, hmm. and then you have to keep asking questions and you have to ask the right questions too because hmm. your time is very limited. Or you could have a ton of information and then um, a ton of it could be you know just unuseful. Hmm. And you have to pick out the very important aspects and um, then present that uh, case in a very structured manner. Sounds like life. So, yeah, that is life. You either have a lot of information <laughs> and a lot of it's meaningless and then you got to figure out what the heck to do. Or you have absolutely no information or yeah. very little and figure out what the heck to do. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, well, this is this is no different, actually, <laughs> once I really think about it. Um, so my, my, my last consulting uh, case... Um, whenever I was interviewing with Accenture, it was a lot of information, have to pick out the very important aspects. So um, <laughs> coming out, I was like, well, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> but then realized that, um, you know, I, I had actually told the interview, you know, I, I do realize that I had overlooked this aspect. So next time I would actually look at, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, so I think the fact that I realized what my mistakes were and I was very honest about them. Like I wasn't trying to hide that I had overlooked a certain aspect. Mm. Um, I think that's why they, they gave me the the offer. Hmm. So that transparency and then, you know, having the humility to say, I missed this. This is what I would include. Right. And you get the offer. Right. Because that's, again, that's life. And it uh, doesn't matter where you work. Um, you know, you're you're always bound to make a certain mistake anywhere. That's right? huge. Well, let me ask you this. How do you say no to people? So this this podcast is all about saying yes. But given the circles that you're involved in and the myriad of activities that that you're involved in, how do you tell people no when they present something to you that doesn't fall in line with what you're doing or your vision for where you want to be? Do you have a system for for turning people down or projects down? Yeah. So I was actually really bad at that because <laughs> I would always say yes. <laughs> and then, um, you know, you only have 24 hours in a day <laughs> and you have to sleep and eat. <laughs> so um, in, in high school, I was extremely bad about it, which is probably why I just ended up doing tons of things. You know, and now it's like, well, you, you, you have to start saying no to some people. So my, uh, my strategy was um, I love connecting with people and... I love connecting other people to other people. <laughs> so if, if if for some reason there's there's something that I can't do, I try and find someone else that um, I can refer that person to. Hmm. Um, so I would say that's that's been my strategy. Hmm. Um, you know, because I I like to help people um, see see where I can be helpful if if I can't do it um, because of timing or because I think someone else is a better fit for that. Uh, I try and refer that person to someone else. Now, I've got this theory that, that some of the the smartest people and the most talented people tend to be the most risk-averse, and I don't think you fall into that category. But do you find people who are smart, like you've come into contact with people who, they're smart on paper, they have the right grades, um, they don't tend to be as risk-seeking as some. Do you think that's that's true? Is that... Have your experiences negated that? What do you think? Yeah. 
So I guess because I'm a business major, I think of high risk equals high return, <laughs> right? So um, I, you know, I think that if if you take enough risk, there's bound to be return somewhere, um, which is I, I would say my my entire life <laughs> has been that way. Yes, <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> your your resume is just a litany. It's like a litany of bullet points, and they all say risk, 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 risk. Yeah, basically, yeah. So um, which which that was that was the same thing that happened when I came into UT. I took an enormous risk. I didn't know anyone in Austin, um, hmm. and I had never visited the campus before. And I thought, well, they have the best business program. So if that's what you want, you know, you're going to suck it up and you're going to you know go hard. Um, and then same thing when I went to Brazil. Everyone was like, no, 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 you shouldn't go to Brazil because it's uh, way too risky and crime rates are high. And I thought, yeah, but, you know, crime also happens here. And if, if you're smart about it, I mean, I'm not going to go into a deep alley <laughs> and just, you know, basically pull out my phone. But um, I thought it was going to give me a really good experience. And it and it did. So I I abide by that. High risk equals high return. So one thing, you know, members of the of the tribe have have sent messages and and talked about uh the difficulty in dealing with rejection. I mean, what's something that you've been rejected from, and do you have a system for for dealing with things that you don't get or opportunities that um, you don't get a chance to take advantage of? Yeah. How do you how do you deal with rejection? Yeah. Okay. So, um, fun fact: um, I got rejected when I first sent in my application to UT. So, <laughs> I. Um, had a great GPA. I had a 3.89 and mm. had so many things. And again, it was like, it was like high school. Once again, I was like, this is not going to happen again. So, um, I, I was like, okay. I was like, why, why did I get rejected? And I thought my GPA is really good. And then I thought, you know, usually if, if, if you have a high GPA, maybe you weren't involved in school, but I was like, I was very involved and I was working full time. Um, so I thought, you know, what, what, what's going on here? And, um, I, I, convinced myself. I was like, someone made a mistake into the application process. So um, one of my professors basically was talking to me and they said, you know, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't give up. Just keep, keep doing what you do. And I thought, okay, I shouldn't give up. And I said, okay, actually nothing is actually ever over until you give up. Hmm. Um, So I, I kept saying that to myself, nothing's over until you give up. Nothing's over until you give up. So I, I sent an appeal to UT and, you know, I CC'd the college president and I said, I have the Jack Kent Cook scholarship. Um, it's X amount of dollars. And I just won an, an award last month that I didn't include in my application. And then, um, you know, three three days later, I basically get another letter that says, congratulations. Welcome Hold on. to the Combs. <laughs> we made a mistake. Hold on. So check this out. I mean, there's no magical link on the website that says appeal decision here. <laughs> You put together an appeal letter. You sent it to the president of the university. I'm sure the dean of the business school and anyone else you could find that was probably in a decision-making role. You say, hey, listen, basically, you screwed this thing up. I have all these awards. I am more than qualified. And then three days later, you get the yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were probably like, that's who, classic. Who is this Stephanie girl telling us that we made a mistake? If we don't let her in, she's going to bother us for a very long time. Well, they're fortunate now that they get the the opportunity to call you an alum. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go to 
the two-minute drill. So a couple of rapid-fire questions. You have one last tweet. So I know you're very active on social media. You have one last tweet to send out to humanity. What would it say? Um, If I had a last tweet, I would say... I would basically direct it to my family. um, And it would be, continue the legacy. Hmm. So... My my grandpa, um, he passed away four months ago with cancer, and he was always such a hard worker. And my grandpa kind of was always about, you know, work hard and work for your family type of guy. Um, very much like a Hispanic culture. It's all about family. One last question, okay? What is the title of the book that you have not written? Um, I would say that phrase, it's it's not over until you give up. Nice. So, um, you know, just just keep working hard. You know, whatever whatever obstacle comes towards you, you know, just grab it and say, "Awesome! Glad glad to meet you." Now, <laughs> I'm going to throw you behind me, <laughs> and I'm going to keep running. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Stephanie. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I was right. glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you for listening to a tribe called Yes. For more information, you can visit us at a tribe called Yes dot com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget, keep saying yes. Yes.